This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Tough one to take. I don't think the players deserve to leave the competition with, with that scoreline and, and how it ended up. I think for the first 25 minutes, we were the better team, created chances, half chances, shots on goal. They, their first shot on target was in the back of the net. Um, they had to change the shape after 25 minutes because they couldn't cope with the three in the middle of the park. So they had to go from a back five to a back four. So that's credit to the players for doing that, making a top team change formation to suit them. And then the second goal, it was so early in the second half, changed the course of the game. And, and for me, it sounds like sour grapes, but it's, it's a blatant foul on Kiefer. Sometimes you get the rub of the green, sometimes you don't. And... Um, and we didn't. And within a couple of minutes of the uh, of the potential free kick, Nico's clearance falls straight to one of their players, and we two 0 down. And then you got a bigger mountain to climb. So, like I said, I want to try and focus on the players overall in the tournament. I thought the boys have been excellent, and to even get to where we're at is a big achievement with the players that we've got. Not playing domestic football week in week out, um, and I am proud of them for that. Off the ball on BFM eighty nine point nine. Wales nil, Denmark four. Harsh. On the Welsh, that was Rob Page uh, being very proud and Welsh. <laughs> it is the Monday show with me, Ross. Hello. Everybody had a good weekend? Rhetorical, rhetorical. Um, I know the guys here have enjoyed the football over the weekend. Let me introduce them. Cam Rasline is here. Hello, Cam. Hello, Ross. Nice to have you here. Craig Wilkie also joins us despite the Scots making an exit. Welcome. Well done, Craig. Well done. Hello. Thanks. Yeah, the Scottish dream is over, but still lots of football to enjoy. Hey, now you you got to get to the World Cup. Do you know what I mean? That, that's got to be done now. <laughs> has to be done. Nicholas Arnil is also here. What's up, Nick? What's up, Ross? I think uh, sleep is of the essence. It's it's nicely. Everybody. Yeah, sorry, it's nicely paced. Patient. Yeah, it's nicely paced out now. You get like four days absolutely no sleep, and then you have about two days to sleep it up. Uh, but of course, your body has to. <laughs> follow the rules as well um, speaking of rules you can tweet us whilst we're on air you can find us individually on twitter or tweet at bfm radio follow us on social media bfm football on instagram and on facebook as well right wales nil denmark four casper dolberg who who played a lot of his football at the amsterdam arena Felt really at home. Couple of lovely, well-taken goals, cameras. Like, who knew the Danes had a 4-0 thumping win in them? Two, two four-goal uh, games in a row for them, I think. Which is the first for anyone ever, I think. I think it might ever be the, the first ever for, for Denmark as well, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. such high-profile company. But they were good, weren't they, Cam? Well, they were pre-tournament dark horse favorites and then of course the Ericsson situation and he is he is the best Danish player um so they they really should be missing that that uh skill in in the center of the midfield but um it's an emotional journey I just finished watching uh the summer of 92 Danish film about the the last time they won the euro back in how 92 apt. and how apt yeah, and that was a very emotional journey. And it's like if they're just running on emotion, who knows? I, I wouldn't bet against the Danes going all the way. I really wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, can can fairy tales strike twice? Is there such a saying? Uh, I mean, apart from Ericsson, Craig Wilkie, we've seen Danish players really step up to the fore. Mention Kasper Dolberg with his two goals. Damsgaard, who's been playing the Ericsson role, has been superb. you got Mailer. Uh, Christensen at the back has been a rock, right? I mean, 
no surprise they, they've actually made it through well it's it's had a little bit of everything that journey i mean just from the opening game of such an extraordinary experience that those players had to go through emotionally mentally psychologically all of that and we were wondering at that point how they would sort of get themselves back together and be able to to carry on in this tournament and you know come up with the sort of performances that they have has been absolutely superb and they just had too much for Wales overall. Yeah. I, mean, I thought the game started evenly, not too bad. Wales sort of settled into it, all right. Didn't look overawed, but as soon as the first goal went in, and Dahlberg, you mentioned, what a fantastic finish it was. You know, when you look back at the replays, the ball started a long way outside the post yeah, before it bent back in. Bent it. Goal, goalkeepers got absolutely no chance. And what's impressed me about this Danish side is, especially in the absence of Ericsson, that they're doing all those things that we might expect of a a Danish side. You know, they're working very hard, they're compact, they're disciplined, all of that energy and even the emotion that they're running on, as Cam was mentioning. But the quality on the ball, when they get into that final third, the movement, the way that they're creating space, the chances that they're creating, and of course, they're, they're finishing them off now as well. They're taking those chances and Dolberg has been the heart of that, but they now look a very, very dangerous outfit. So th this is not just a team that's kind of, you know, riding that wave and doing it all for Ericsson, although there is that component to it, there's actually a lot of really good football being played and yeah. some really quality footballers who are, who are turning up. And the way that the, the draw is going, um, they'll be looking at it as a quarterfinal to come. That What a great chance they've got to, to go a little bit further as well. Absolutely. Uh, that, that second goal, that second Dolbert goal, what, three minutes into the second half, really killed off the Welsh. Nicholas Arnold. But even then, they, they held on 2-0. You thought, okay, okay, if the next goal was Wales, then maybe, then maybe. But then in a five-minute spell, they literally collapsed. They, they had a red card and then two went in. And suddenly, you're on the end of a 4-0 tonking. Yeah. Uh, you look at this Wales side. You look, you, I, I actually looked at this head counter and, and I had my money on, on, on Welsh. You know, uh, this, this Wales team, you know, uh, despite them losing to Italy, the final group game, I thought they, they, they came into this tournament as a compact uh, unit, you know. They had quality players, you know, uh, spread out around the uh, Premier League and also Championship. Uh, and I really thought that they would give uh, the Danes a run for their money. But just judging by that performance against Denmark, no doubt, you know, Denmark were, were, were quality all over the park. But Welsh just did not assert themselves in any aspect of the field at all, you know. And again, you, you have to look at the main players. Uh, that are represented by this other side. Your Aaron Ramsey, your Gareth Bale, you know, and your Daniel James. These three players just simply did not turn up. And when, when they don't turn up, you know, Welsh were immediately so, sort of shorn of that quality, shorn of that, uh, that, that, that bite that could, could give them something, you know. And, uh, you know, that, that substitution um, uh, after Conor Robertson um, got injured, you know, and Nico Williams came in, he, he really did not uh, acclimatize himself immediately. And, you know, as a result, they considered and game over for them. So um, for me, Welsh, uh, this this Welsh team, you know, started off well, but in the last two games is really uh, two two games to to forget at all. And you know, now now there's a lot of contemplation. There's a lot of reflection that's going to be happening. You know, what goes on? Uh, you know, in terms of who's going to be leading the team? Uh, is Rob Page going to continue? You know, is Diggs going to be given the mantle? Uh, as soon as his court uh, case is done, depending on whether he's guilty or not. So, so it runs deeper than this tournament itself. You know, A lot of contemplation, uh, not only just from the players' uh, point of view, but also from the management uh, point of view as well. Well, they set some records along the way. They become the first team to receive two red cards 
in a single edition of the European Championship since Russia and Switzerland back in 2004. Uh, Wales have now lost two consecutive major tournament matches for the first time in history. Uh, did you all see Gareth Bale post-match? He stormed off, but he'll be back. If, if they get to the World Cup, which is only, what, next year, right? <laughs> he'll, he'll, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll see more of Wales. But good, little tiny nation, what, size of Singapore, doing the business on, in, in world football. Speaking of tiny nations, Italy are not one of them. They, they sing their national anthem with gusto. They needed extra time, though. They were pushed all the way by a tiny nation. No offense, Austria, but you know what I mean. Uh, after extra time, 2-1 Italy win. Mancini's boys, they have other gears to go into cameras, man. Well, like every uh, nation, there's a good Italy and a bad Italy. Um, I came into this match halfway through the second half. Thank goodness. Um <laughs> Because uh, I was fully expecting that Italy to be three 0 up. I mean, this is the country that's going to win, is it not? And uh, they were beginning to show their emotional frailties by then. They hadn't managed to put the ball away. And Austria, full credit, they were not just sitting back. They weren't trying to do a, a Steve Bruce at uh, Newcastle kind of thing. They they were going for it. But um, you know, with Italy, they they know what they individual players know what they have to do in an italian team they 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 know fully and then it was just a horrible i mean it could have gone to it people in zaghi it was that kind of goal um popped up scored the goal and then the austrians they uh, i mean there was that one disallowed goal uh anatovic oh and by the way there's been a lot of talk about how the refereeing has been very good at this tournament um, but we've also seen perhaps a, a clue as to why there are so many arguments during the Premier League season about VAR. Because as soon as you give a VAR situation, two pretty easy calls to English referees, suddenly it took forever for the uh, for the judgment to come back. So perhaps VAR is not the issue. It's the English referees. <laughs> well spotted, I guess. Cam, um, but um, you, you, I mean, as the longer as, as the match went on, I mean, after 90 minutes, I found myself rooting for the Austrians. It was a terrific defensive display. I mean, these are four time world champions, Craig Wilkie. They had no right. Alaba, what a player. You, I mean, there's an argument for David Alaba to be played further up the pitch, but then you go, but then you kind of need him back there as well because he. He marshals everything. And you also kind of need him in midfield because he can spray those balls. So you just need another two more of David Alaba's. Yeah, it's a bit like an Andy Robertson situation for Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you, you, need him, you need him everywhere down that left side. And yeah, let's, let's give some credit to the Austrians because they knew that quality-wise, it was going to be difficult for them to go head-to-head -head with the Italians. They, they didn't want to open up too much. And they, they kept it very tight. They got a lot of men behind the ball. It didn't make for the prettiest game to watch at certain times as a consequence of that. But what they did really well was that their compactness was a really collective effort. You know, they, they never got exposed by one, one player going and chasing by himself. They always went and hunted in packs. And the Italians who've, I think the way they strolled through that group, they've been used to having a little bit of time and space in that midfield just to put their foot on the ball, start creating that rhythm, start knocking it around. And they got hustled out of their stride a little bit by the Austrians and, and it took them a while it took Mancini a while to really think that through tactically and, and how he wanted to change it and then when he brought the subs on 
there was just that little bit more sharpness yeah. in the final third. And, and the Chiesa goal, I mean, it was a little bit strange from a defensive point of view because the ball's travelled a long way and he's got a lot of space. He had a lot of time post. as well, didn't he? He did, yeah, exactly. But the first touch and then the way he brings it over onto his left foot, and even from there, there's still a lot to do. But he, he smacks it across the goalkeeper and it's, it's a really good finish. And, and from that point, I, I felt as though the Italians would go on and take control. And, and that's more or less what they did. They got the, the second goal, which, which wrapped things up. And although Austria did give themselves a little bit of a chance with a very bizarre goal of their own, I have really no idea how it sneaked into the near post, that, that header mm-hmm. from the corner. Uh, but it did, and the Italians will be upset about that because we know how much they love their defensive excellence and keep, keeping a clean sheet and all of that. But I think when Mancini looks at it afterwards, he'll say, we didn't play at our best, but we handled the pressure and the expectation. And we carry on. And we know that over the course of these tournaments, you can be at your best in every game. So he'll just be happy to get through and be looking ahead to the next one now. Yeah, it's it's hard to look past the Italians now Now that we, we, we've seen them in action. That was probably the biggest test, Nicolas Anil, that one. So do you think all the way, possibly, for Italy? Um, they're, they're, they're looking good for it. Uh, I think everyone would have to agree. Uh, they started off their group campaign in such dominant fashion. Uh, but against uh, Wales, you know, they, they had to sort of grind out uh, a 1-0 victory. Uh, and uh, again, against Austria as well, you know. So they have shown that they can play different type of football. You know, Roberto Mancini has mixed it up, you know, not only attacking possession, uh, dominating football, uh, but they also know how to grind out victories as well. And, you know, right substitutions at the right times, you know, have yielded out uh, uh, wins. So, um, Italy definitely are looking uh, uh, big favourites uh, for this tournament, especially with uh, Cellini coming back as well. He's going to add a lot of solidity, uh, you know, to the to their back line as well. And, you know, I don't see them <laughs> conceding anymore. Like like uh, Craig mentioned just now, you know, that Austria goal was sort of a freak goal. Uh, and that only happens one in a blue moon. So, you know, uh, I expect them to shut up shop and, you know, somehow they'll find a way to, to, to grind out wins. What, what we'd like to see more from them is perhaps the strikers showing up a little bit more, you know, apart yeah. from Insigne, you know, uh, sorry, uh, Immobile, uh, Insigne has uh, not really delivered so far, you know, even uh, Locatelli, even though uh, he's, he's come off the, the bench, you know, he's not scored enough and they've had to depend on, on substitute players, you know, to make an impact. So if Mancini can get the best out of his starting eleven, which I think he's not fully uh, convinced of his of his players on the pitch uh, you know uh, then we will have to see that uh, Italy will only do better in in the next uh, in the next round but to have players on the bench like Verratti and Chiesa that you can call on do you know what I mean like like just highly skilled really really good players i mean apart from that this is a, an extremely likable italian squad cameras and and you you look at the bench as well you see Roberto Mancini celebrating with Gianluca Vialli. Us older football folk will remember the Sampdoria days and, and you know, how, how they tore it up in Serie A. And, and Vialli, of course, uh, fights successfully overcoming cancer. He, he, it was, made me tear. I won't, I, you know, I, I, I won't deny that. Made me tear. But this uh, Italy team, they don't have any of these superstar Viallis, Perlos, uh, even Mancini. Yeah, yeah. But they but they are consistently all of a quality. They're all eights, um, and and so they, they don't rely upon these uh, superstars. I mean, Immobile, um, he's a great player, but I don't think that I don't know. I would very much doubt even if he goes on to score a bunch of goals. I don't think he's going to be a 
a huge money signing for some, everyone's going to be going for him. And I don't think he'd even do very well in a new club. You, they work well in the Italian system. Yeah, well said. Well said. All right, who's going to stop Italy then? It was a good after extra time win against the Austrians. The Austrians leave the tournament. Heads held high. It has to be said. We're off for our first break. We'll come back and talk about the surprise package, Czech Republic, next. An outpouring of emotion as the Danish recovery begins. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Entertaining and full of attacking intent and ultimately victorious. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Here we go. Cam Roslan, Craig Wilkie, Nicholas Arnell here on a Monday evening looking back at the uh, four last 16 ties played at the Euros. Uh, it's been good quality football. Uh, Hungary, Budapest to be exact, was awash with orange on Sunday evening. Um, you could see, you can see, check out the pictures on, on the internet. Amazing scenes as, as Dutch fans poured into Budapest. Of course, no COVID restrictions, 67,000 people in the Ferenc Puskas Stadium. Uh, saw the Netherlands lose 2-0 to the Czech Republic, though. This was a, a surprise result, Cam. Uh, was it a surprise? Really? I, I don't know. I think the Czech Republic have been a surprise package. Uh, they managed to, you know, score against the mighty Scotland. But uh, this uh, Dutch team, they're just running on reputation. Uh, the Dutch team since 1988 have always had to have some real superstars, some some absolutely top quality players who can do something amazing. This Dutch team just doesn't have anything like that. They don't have uh, a Hullet or, or a Van Basten or whatever. I mean, you, they they have. I mean, Memphis Depay. He's 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 good, but he's not like in the main top table. So I think that the the they've been running a rep reputation, and I wouldn't have put any money on uh, the Dutch. But I, but I would be putting uh, money now on the Czechs. I think they were spectacular. And Schick, whoa, uh, next, Everton's ultimate next signing, no doubt. <laughs> He's already placed him in the club. Um, yeah, I mean, criticism for uh, De Boer and, and the Dutch team throughout the tournament, even before it started, Great Wilkie, a lot of Dutch fans not happy with the formation. Uh, the Dutch... Generally play four three three, but not not the Boer. Um, and as Cam said, you haven't really got a number nine up front because the pie the pie is more your creator, and and the pie comes with a whole bunch of. If you follow <laughs> the, the the press that follows Memphis the pie, you will see his blacked out Rolls Royce, the hats he wears, the clothes and stuff. So I mean, it's not the Hollywood. Dutch team of the past, but do you think there's a future, De Boer and, and this, this Holland side, Craig? Uh, De Boer's under a lot of pressure now. He is, isn't not, he? Not, not only for the result and having gone out in the manner that they did, but also, as you say, there's that factor of if you don't play the Dutch way, then the fans are going to get on your back. And and whether that's right or not, it's it's just how it is. And yeah. if you're gonna if you're going to go against that system then you really better try and do it successfully. And he hasn't, he hasn't entirely done that so far. To be fair, I think as Cam mentioned, this is a more limited Dutch squad than maybe we've seen in, in recent tournaments. There, You've there got Crystal Palace's Van Anhalt in there, for goodness sake. Yeah, and, and that's no disrespect to Van Arnold, but it's, <laughs> no. it's just, it's just, it's just <laughs> no not Crystal the same. Palace, sorry. 
<laughs> it's usually me that's insulting teams and nations, so I'm glad somebody else has taken up the mantle this week. Um, but yeah, you just look at that first 11, and, and it's, it's not at the, the same quality that maybe we've been used to. And then we wondered, well, would they make up for that in terms of a bit of the spirit and the work ethic? But I felt as though, of course, this, the sending off had a, a major impact on the game. But even then, it wasn't as if the Dutch were dominating what was it a red? Was it a red? I think it was technically. Yeah. It's a little. It's a little bit harsh. But he, he gets himself in all sorts of trouble. He like, knew he, what he was doing, didn't he? Yeah, and he he came out after the game very honestly and took responsibility for it. Yeah. And, and and he was smart enough to realize as well that the big mistake he made was letting the ball bounce. Yeah. And once once that's done, and then he's he's got to turn and he's he's under all sorts of pressure and he just panics in the end and the hand comes out and it's it's deliberate and and there's no question that the chick had a clear goal scoring opportunity if that hadn't happened. And, and Sheik, as Cam mentioned, what a revelation he has been. I mean, we watched him in that first game against Scotland where he scored the wonder goal. And ever since then, he just, everything that he does and the way he leads the line, the composure that he has in the box, his touch, the way he brings other people into play. And that's the sort of quality that you need if you're going to go to the latter stages of these tournaments. You've got to have a lot of people who are playing well and working hard behind you, but he made the difference again. There was more quality in what he brought than than what there was in, in that Dutch side. And he's the reason why, again, there's a side who will go into the next round and feel confident because they've got a player in that form playing the way that he is. And you'll think you've always got a chance if you can get the ball into him in and around the box. And who knows how far the checks might go. I didn't see it coming from that first game against Scotland, but no. they've done very, very well to get to here. They're, they're ranked 40th in the world, 24 places behind the Dutch. But... Uh... We've seen already, Nick, you can, you can see the stars. I mean, Craig mentioned uh, Patrick Schick. Uh, and then you, Thomas Hollis, the way he stepped up, he was man of the match in, in that tie. He, he just caused all kinds of problems. He dropped deep. He was in midfield. And he wore the number nine, yeah? Yeah. Check. Uh, this was a surprise performance. You know, you look back at the at the game against England, and uh, I felt that Czech actually afforded England so much of respect. You know, I think there was a so lot of teams too, especially yeah. at Wembley. Yeah, and, and, and it felt like you know there was there was a period in that game, you know, there where, where where they should have broken the bubble and you know should have taken that game to England, but they simply did not, and uh, eventually it ended up as a flat uh, a flat one nil defeat. You know, and coming into this this encounter against a uh, high-flying Dutch side, you know, who had, who, who had blitzed their group. You know, you, you have to say that the odds were against uh, the Czech. But, but really, credit to them. No doubt that the turning point was the red card. But as soon as, you know, uh, uh, they were down to 10 and uh, Czech uh, seized the advantage. And it's not easy to, to, to try and impose the game, even though you have that, that man extra. Because teams are usually more motivated when they go a man down, especially in big games like this, you know. But uh, check, uh, they, they picked uh, two right moments uh, to hit uh, the Dutch, you know. First, uh, they, they played to their strengths. They hit them in the air, you know, with, with those big uh, uh, strikers, you know. Um, and, and, and the second goal from, from Patrick Schick uh, ultimately uh, sealed the deal. So, uh, check, played to their strengths, you know, capitalized when it mattered and, you know, deservedly got their win. And who knows, who knows what's to say, like, like Craig mentioned, you know. Um, I, I would compare this, this check side, you know, um, as underdogs, looking back to some of the previous Czech sides who have traditionally done well in past European championships. So, you know, they, they've, they've got nothing to lose uh, after this, you know, and, and everything to gain. 
They, Thomas Suchek was immense in that Czech midfield. The Czech Republic now travel to Azerbaijan to take on Denmark, whom they beat 3-0 in the quarterfinals of Euro 2004. Um, all right, then, on to the heavyweight clash of the weekend. Belgium won. Portugal nil. A moment of class from Hazard. Uh, no, 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 no. Not Eden. Not Eden. Torgan. Tor, Cam. Tor, Hazard. Hammer strike from Tor. Yeah, I heard somebody saying that he's the, he must be the Phil Neville uh, <laughs> the, oh. of, of, of the, uh, of the Hazard brothers. Um, you know, they, I really didn't, I didn't think that the Portuguese had much to offer. Um, will uh, Ronaldo retire at this point? Probably not. He still wants to be Ali Dai's. Um, record. He's equaled it at the moment as the, the top scorer of all time in international football. But uh, even without, well, now without De Bruyne, and whose birthday it is, by the way, and uh, Eden Hazard, well, without De Bruyne moving forward, I, I would, I would have said that this this Belgian team have what it takes. They were able to crack. The, the 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 nut that is Portugal with a, a wonder goal and but now I I don't know I think this this may be the end of it though without De Bruyne they do have strength in depth though you look at that that uh, Belgian bench and and wow there's some some big big names there um, Craig Wilkie right uh, the Portuguese first Let, let's focus on them for me Ronaldo it's amazing how he shows, ooh, that was really close, even after the 300th free kick that he's missed in the game. So maybe some other people could take it. Bruno Fernandes just likes to really complain all the time. Um, big plus point is Renato Sanchez in, in that Portuguese midfield. Uh, shades of, of Makaleli, Kante, all rolled into one with attacking intent as well. Yeah, looks like a really good footballer. Just to go back to your Ronaldo point, it's, in, it's incredible, a few things. One is that we haven't had a goal direct from a free kick in this entire tournament, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, he, which is, he came the closest, though, with that, yeah, with that one, right? Which is really quite a remarkable statistic. And likewise, it's remarkable that for all the free kicks that he takes, Ronaldo's free kick record is not actually that impressive. And it seems to me to have got worse over the years. Uh, he, I feel like he's a little bit of a Hollywood free kick taker. You know, he's he's so intent on trying to put something special on the ball rather than just go for getting it up and over the wall and into whichever corner that you choose. Right. But overall, he was he was quiet on the night, and I think you have to give some credit to Belgium for that. They made sure that they shut down the space around them, and maybe I think when you look at that that German uh, sorry that Belgian defence, we maybe had some question marks over them. And the thing about them is they know they don't have a lot of pace. And they were savvy enough to realize yeah. that they couldn't play too high a line. Yeah. So they just sat back and they were okay with Portugal having a little bit of possession in, in the midfield, but just making sure that whenever it went out wide, especially whenever it got to Ronaldo, they were able to push up and close him down. And from that point of view, I felt it was a very controlled performance from Belgium. You know, they weren't at their best, but again, the questions that we've asked of them is, in tournament football, can they find that way to get a result? Now, of course, as, as Cam mentioned, the De Bruyne potentially being out is a huge loss. But what impressed me was the way that they dealt with it. You know, they, they were able to play a little bit more direct up to Lukaku. And Lukaku is just in the form of his life. Yeah, Every time I watch him, he's even more. And 
he's just the, the directness of him now. He'll take the ball in, he'll hold defenders off. And what really impresses me now is that he just wants to get turned and, and run at people. You know, and he's actually, his pace with the ball is, is much quicker than, than you might imagine. And he just looks such a handful. And what an outlet to have, even when you're under a bit of pressure. And I don't think Portugal put them under a really sustained period of pressure. That, that was a trouble. There wasn't that 10-minute period of maybe four or five corners pinning them back. Every time they could just play that ball out to Lukaku and he would hold it up and give them a little bit of respite and still look dangerous a couple of times. There was a few openings that they created from playing off Lukaku. And in the end, I thought Belgium probably just shaded it based on that. They were, they were enough in control of the game and, and Portugal were a little bit disappointing. Maybe De Bruyne, will, will we see more of him? I, I hope so. I certainly hope so. But they, they I mean, we say that it's an aging back line, but you, I feel when it gets further into a tournament like this, Age and savvy really, really matters. All right, we're going for another break. Stick with us. Uh, the other four ties uh, to talk about right after this. Energy, emotions renewed, efforts refocused. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Why doesn't he head it? Why is he throwing himself? That's a diving header, isn't it? A bullet in the back of the net. A legend was waiting there to be born. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Cam Roslan, Craig Wilkie, Nicholas Arnil joining me on a Monday evening to look back at the weekend's top football action. As usual, you can tweet us individually, find us all on Twitter, or tweet at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Right, the remaining four ties are played over the next two days. Croatia versus Spain from Copenhagen is midnight. Uh, the Croatians have never progressed past the quarterfinal stage of the European Championship. It, they've had a lot more success in, on the, in the World Cup competition, but do you fancy them at all, Camera Aslan, or do you, think, do you think Spain might be a bridge too far? Um, Spain don't really have a, a, a goal scorer, a cutting edge. They, they can pass the ball around all day don't long. Don't let Morata hear you say that. Well, you know, he's not... Well, okay, well, maybe he'll come through. Um, although you just told us that Perisic is out for um, Croatia. Yeah, tested yeah. positive and for coronavirus. So he's a he's a big miss. He's one of the, the other goal scorer, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, hate, I hate Perisic because he doesn't look like he should be uh, <laughs> a good footballer. He looks like 110, well, at least 70. He looks uh, like his he... hair doesn't belong on his head. He's got a full head of curls. Just looks really and, weird on him. And yet you give him one slim chance and he will score. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, with Perisic, I, I would really give um, Croatia the edge here. But uh, we have been watching a Spain that's been having to play in Seville. And apparently the pitch in Seville was really, really terrible and, and didn't help anybody's passing game. It was very bumpy and everything. So um, perhaps, I mean, I mean, they had that five nil win but perhaps uh spain will come to life but i i, I don't know this this spain eh, no cutting edge i i would i would still favor croatia and and you there's you can't see this because this is radio but craig wilkie has a smile on his face because that's his other team that's craig wilkie's official other side with the missus being croatian and all that i dare you to say spain will win <laughs> go on i dare you she's not listening um no but seriously though i'm Luka Modric at 35, still one of the best midfielders in the world, isn't he? Oh, he's, 
he's absolutely sublime. You know, I saw a video just the other day of him in the Croatia training camp and they were doing this little shooting drill. And so he, he passed a one, two, and then the ball came back to him and he hit it with the outside of his right foot, just an exact replica of the goal that he scored against Scotland. And you, you realize that it's, there's nothing fortuitous about that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've actually never seen a player who uses the outside of his foot as often or as skillfully as, as Modric seems to. And he is absolutely key to Croatia's chances, especially given the fact that, that Perisic is out. And Perisic has been one of those players over the years and including in this tournament that's brought that real goal threat for Croatia. You know, he's, he's good in the air. He's got that wonderful ability, as Cam was saying, to just get strikes in early. You know, he just gets the ball out of his feet and he shoots, often takes goalkeepers by surprise just by how early he gets his shots away. So there'll be a lot of onus now on Modric to step up and try and dominate that midfield, which is where, where the game is going to be won and lost because that's where the Spanish do have their strength. And whether it's really going to come down to both those sides have not been at their best in the final third. You know, they've not created as many chances as they probably would have hoped or expected. They've not been as clinical as they would have wanted to be, albeit if Spain had the 5-0 win in their final group game. So I think it might be a game of relatively few chances and it just comes down to whoever can take them uh, on the night. Quite, so quite an even game. I, I might have given Croatia just a slight advantage with Perisic in the side. Now I think it's pretty 50-50. Mm. La Roja coming to this off the back of a five-star performance, uh, Nicolas Anil, um, all over Slovakia. And... and Sadly, been reading on the press, Morata's family's been getting uh, abuse on social media. There are so many idiots with a Twitter account. And, and you know, I'm, but let's not go into that. I mean, Spain, despite the fact we, we say they, they haven't fired up front and all that, that was impressive because there were signs of them clicking even before that, the way they, they passed their way. We know how, how prodigious they are. In the passing game, nine hundred passes at a half is is their is their par. Um, it's hard to look past them, but they are lightweight, though, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's not often you get to say that, you know. Spain, Spain light. Uh, lightweight, you know. <laughs> uh, they were they were the ones who introduced the terminology, or, or rather, made the terminology false nine famous. You know, being able to play without a focal uh, target man, you know, simply because they had quality all over the park. But I think this is a Spanish team in transition. You know, you, you look at the team uh, that won the World Cup a couple of years back, you know, the team that won the Euro back in 2012. You know, you, you're void of, of players like, like Andres Iniesta, Zavis, you know, uh, David Silva. All, all these players have now moved on, you know, and, and you get a, a new breed of players, you know, your, your Fernand Torreses, your, your Gerard Morenos, uh, you know, Busquets is probably the, the only one left from, from that 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 famed uh, generation, you know, and, and he's not been able to stamp his uh, authority simply because he's not had the chance to play yet. So for me, you know, uh, Enrique is, is, you know, in, in transition in how he wants to set the Spanish players out. I think he's still finding uh, the, the, the right uh, uh, tactics, the right formula and, you know, uh, playing each player in his best position. So, you know, it, it almost seems that, that Spain are, are finding their way in this tournament as they, as they navigate through every single match, you know, and it, and it may have seemed like they have found the the, the, the best uh, combination or rather the best result against Slovakia. But uh, I, I thought that, you know, uh, it, it was uh, due to Slovakia capitulating after the first two goals. So uh, we have not we have not seen the best out of Spain yet. And, and as you mentioned, you know, Morata with all that issues, personal issues that he's had to face 
uh, not only in this tournament but even before this you know he was he was heckled and he, you know he was uh, he was really criticized even even as they were warming up towards this tournament so you know you have this player who's most probably going to play tonight playing with a lot of uh, you know a lot of baggage on his back you know very mindful that you know fans are ready to turn at him at any time you know should he turn in another bad performance um so there is a lot for spain to contend with uh, as they come into this this uh, encounter and because of that i think the weight of expectations are bigger on spain rather than croatia who would be going it with less pressure so if you ask me you know a slight advantage to croatia and and spain will have to be at their extremely best and maybe you know hope for a bit of luck to get past this this uh, croatian side we know football gods exist they they might well grant alvaro morata a worldly in 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 germany it seems appropriate with all the abuse he's been getting croatia spain is midnight then at 3 am is france versus switzerland the swiss cameras land aim to produce a shock of seismic proportions um, can they do it this swiss side um they look very compact uh jedan shakiri is you know he's 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 a pest to to any side um steven zuber we don't mention him very often three assists in the last game for the swiss they they have got it in them and they're not here by fluke but france is your ultimate pre-tournament favorite um well, well I, i italy were for me the pre-tournament favorite france have a lot of um fragility about them you know uh switzerland you said shakiri shakiri loves seems to love playing for switzerland which is good because he never gets to play for his club but the the thing with switzerland is that they they over the last oh several editions of world cups and euros they in flashes they can be really um mesmerizing and perhaps that's all you really need is just moments when it all just comes together and you find shakiri up front and he can do something great this france for me lack the cohesion i think that kante upon whom so much depends is not quite on his game but i mean sometimes he's drifting too seemingly too far back and then he, when he goes forward he leaves a gap behind him um so i i yeah i think france will win this one but i don't think it'll be pretty it won't be the 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 beautiful game that they really can construct and but they've been rarely doing these days The Swiss interestingly enough have successfully advanced to the knockout stages of a major tournament four times in succession now. Um arguably this is the, the biggest roadblock in the way. The French will be without Ousmane Dembélé. Um he injury rules him out for the rest of the tournament. Lucas Digne only lasted seven minutes uh, against Portugal before he went off so question mark over him. Apart from that, I understand Marcus Thuram, Thomas Lemar picked up minor injuries in training, but okay, Kylian Mbappe hasn't found his shooting boots yet, Craig Wilkie, but Benzema is off and running and you know, for them it's always been that upfront thing, France. They they haven't got that number 9 a striker. Maybe they've got that this year, but do you think the rest of them is as good as Yeah, there's still plenty of quality in in that French side. I I disagree with Cam Sidley. I I feel as though France were pre-tournament favorites. They were my pre-tournament favorites and I would probably just about retain them in that role. Though they haven't been entirely convincing thus far. I think yeah. they've played well in spells, but they haven't really put it together for for a full 90 minutes. 
probably their best performance was actually the first game against Germany, where they, they controlled that game reasonably well. But since then, there have been a few of those fragilities, a few of those vulnerabilities that, that Cam was mentioning as well. And I just wonder, it's a strange thing to say, but I, I wonder if they're feeling the pressure a little bit. Um, you know, there, there is a lot of expectation on them back home. Maybe Mbappe as well. There's a lot of speculation, as there always is every summer, about his future and where he might be playing his football in, in time to come. And maybe just some of those players have, have a lot on their minds. But when you have that quality, and that's, that's the thing, when you have that quality, when you have Mbappe, when you have Griezmann, when you have Benzema playing up front, you can afford to not be at your best. And those players can create something out of nothing. Yeah. And that the deeper you go into the tournament, the more important that becomes. Because even if you're not dominating, even if you have those spells in a game where you're under pressure, you always know that it will come a moment where one of those players, or it could be Pogba, you know, could, could be any number of those French players, will be able to create something. And, and that gives you a chance. And I just feel as though with that amount of attacking quality, they'll have a little bit too much for the Swiss. But the Swiss have, have had an okay campaign so far. They won't be easy. I think I agree with you entirely. This, this won't be an easy game for, for France. We've already seen over the course of, of this weekend that, you know, there are not that many easy games now in the, yeah. in the knockout stages. Everybody's got there on merit and everybody wants to go further. Everybody sees this as an open tournament. Yep. Everybody who's still in it is looking at the semifinals at least. And the Swiss will be the same, albeit they've got a very difficult task ahead of them tonight. Jaden Shakiri needs one goal to become Switzerland's all-time highest scorer at the Euros. One more goal would overtake Swiss legend Hakan Yakin. Remember Hakan Yakin? All right, final break. We talk about the old enemy next. He's manoeuvred an angle and he nearly found the bottom corner as well. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Of stories, of fairy tales and dreams. This could be the ultimate page turner. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Here we are then, Cam, Craig and Nick. Uh, looking forward to England versus Germany. Wednesday midnight, England's fourth game of the tournament at Wembley, where they have remained unbeaten, three clean sheets, top spot in Group B, flattering to deceive, question mark, Nicholas Arnold? Um, yeah, you can say that. Uh, you know, the, those are great statistics, but if you look uh, on the balance of play throughout the three games, uh, I'm sure every England fan... Um, would agree with you, flattered to deceive, uh, would sum them up. You know, you, you come into a tournament, you know, uh, with so much of hype, as you usually do with every tournament, you know, um, and then, you know, it, it sort of fails to translate uh, on the pitch, you know, and, and, when, and when you see this England side perform, you know, you, you, you're just judging on individual quality, you know, you expect them to roam to big wins, you know. Uh, but Croatia was, was a game that they could have, they could have won by more than one. Uh, Czech, they may, may, may not have even, you know, uh, gotten a win. You know, I, I, I felt that um, they, 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 did not do it, they did not do enough to deserve a win. Um, and against Scotland, you know, Scotland played really well to get a point of them. Um, and now you, you face your, your, your biggest foe of all, you know, on the European stage and, and also the global stage. Uh, Germany, a team that is known for its efficiency, a team that is known uh, to deliver when needed. Uh, and I think this will be England's uh, biggest block. Um, you, you look at the team, you look at the players that, that, that were slated to deliver your heavy canes, uh, you know, your Phil Fodens and all, uh, but they have not, they have not delivered. Uh, and if you were to look at this game as, as a game for them to pick, 
I, I don't see it. I, I think Germany are just going to be a very efficient machine on the night. And, you know, this could spell the end of England. Yeah, Gareth Southgate was a pivotal figure the last time these two met uh, in, a, in a European Championship knockout game. Uh, of course, Southgate missed the sixth penalty in that heartbreaking shootout. But um, yeah, Nick is absolutely right. England go into this game with more question marks, Kamraslan, than Germany, most notably over the talisman, Harry Kane, because people would have had a few quid maybe on Harry being golden boot and all that, but he's yet to find the back of the net. Is it a worry? Well, uh, at the World Cup, he found the back of the net with his, um, with his backside. Uh, <laughs> he needs one of those, uh, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, this, this England team, I was saying earlier about the Italian team being, you know, uniformly eights. I, I think that this England team, actually, if you look at them just on paper, they're, they're pretty good quality players. It's, it's, um, it's the system or not. England rarely get to play teams which are on paper going to be better than them. And, and how do you set up for that where they aren't necessarily going to sit deep, um, and you know, you can play this more where, where you're the underdog in a way. And uh, so Gar- Southgate has to find that system and click that one in. And I presume they've worked on it. I think ultimately my um, my prediction will be um, the likes of Harry Kane even throwing his head in in his own penalty box to try and s- stop a ball that's going in. Maguire with a bandage around his head, blood all over the place. <laughs> I like Terry going up, yeah. Yeah, Ballooning that, that, that thing over at the penalty shootout and, and all to the sound of um, Ness and Dorma. But, uh, <laughs> but can I just ask you, you, Ross, you're wearing um, three lions on your chest. Uh, what do you think? Do you think football's going home? Um, this is the pivotal game, isn't it? I, you know, I followed the England team and, and English football clubs a lot, as you know, from the shows and all that. And English teams like, for example, your Liverpools and your Man Uniteds, they tend to plod along when they play the, don't want to be disrespectful here, but they, when they play the not so strong teams, they either shock result draw or plod along with a 1-0 win. But they do raise their game when they're up against better opponents. I think this England side is a bit naive and and a bit like that. Uh, I'm hoping so, because Germany is a massive step up in class, uh, Craig Wilkie. Uh, It's Yogi Love's swan song. And I understand, I'm looking here at the stats. Germany unbeaten in their last seven against England at Wembley. 1-5, drawn two. Last time England won at Wembley against Germany was when Colin Bell and Malcolm McDonald scored. And that was March 1975. Even I don't remember that far uh, back. Yeah, yeah I, rem- I remember that game well, actually. Um, <laughs> no, as, as, as you say, it is such a huge match. And not only the rivalry and the history and you know, any England-Germany game of Wembley is, is going to bring all of that. But when you look at the context of the draw, you know, and there, there was so much debate and speculation around you know, should England finish top of the group or maybe they make it a little bit easier on themselves if they finish second or third even, whatever it might be. Which and is crazy talk, really. There's, there's no question that it's a hard game that they face in, in the last 16. But if you look ahead from that, yeah. if you were looking ahead to a, a potential quarterfinal against Sweden or Ukraine, 
if you look ahead to being in the opposite side of the draw from the Italians and the Belgians and the French and the Spanish and the Croats, you've got to say it, for whoever wins this, it's an absolutely massive opportunity. And the Germans, as we know, they have that tournament mentality. They always turn up with that uh, way of playing, way of trying to, trying to get a result. And they, I don't think this is the best German team that we've seen over the years, but I think there is still enough quality there. I've mentioned before that Havertz has impressed me. I think he's, he brings something quite dynamic to the way they play going forward. And from an England perspective, uh, the guys are absolutely right. The individually, players haven't turned up. Kane has been well below his best. Um, Sterling, although he's got a couple of goals, hasn't been his best either. But the biggest question mark for me remains over Southgate. Is, mm. he go, is he going to be bold enough? Is he going to play Grealish? Is he potentially going to play Saka? And the best Sancho, would have had. Sancho, who knows the Germans Ex- better than anyone. Exactly. And the, the best probably half of football that they played was that first half against, against the Czechs, where he did have a slightly different blend uh, of players in the mix. But we know that Southgate tends to be more cautious. We know that it is more likely to revert back to um, maybe some of the, the tried and tested, at least in his mind, that he's been, been working with in the past. And one other thing, there's been a lot of speculation about potentially Trippier coming back in because England's set pieces so far have been absolutely horrendous in this tournament. They've created nothing from free kicks and corners. So they, they will have to look at that. And that's an area where I'm sure Southgate's going to be pondering whether that's a personnel selection or whether it's just working on it on the, on the training ground. But it's a very, very even game. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on both of those players, especially because of that draw. So if I had to choose one right now, I think Germany will probably just shade it, but I could see this going to extra time. could easily be a penalty shootout again, so who knows? <laughs> it can't always be heartbreak for the English in penalty shootout. It can't be written like that. Surely, surely. England, Germany, it's midnight Wednesday. Um, the last 16, the last, last 16 tie we will talk about very quickly is Sweden versus the Ukraine. Wednesday, 3 a.m. Uh, they meet at Hamden Park in Glasgow. Uh, Andrei Shevchenko leading the Ukraine. Um, I don't know. This one's it's a weird one. I say, my head says Sweden, Nicholas Anil, our favourites going into this one. But you never know with the Ukraine because we've seen some shocks a la Czech Republic and all that. And Ukraine could be another one of those. Yeah, they could. They could, uh, you know... Uh... They, they're definitely going into this match as underdogs against uh, Sweden. Uh, you know, buoyed by the last win, uh, last game victory over Austria. Uh, but you have to look at the quality on paper. And when you do, you know, um, this, this Sweden side are, are, are looking good. You know, uh, they've got players all over the park. And I actually think that Zlatan Ibrahimovic's uh, absence, you know, has brought out the best on some of these other players, you know. Yeah, good point. Uh, with Zlatan in the squad, you know, a lot of attention will naturally go to him and he loves that, that sort of attention and he thrives. And it, it could have been more of a Zlatan Euro, uh, Zlatan comeback Euro, rather than, you know, Sweden trying to do their best and, and you know, make it uh, past the group stage. Um, but uh, this time... Uh, you know, with, without him in the squad, you know, it's allowed players like Isaac, you know, uh, players like Emil Forsberg, who's already scored a couple of goals, uh, you know, uh, Klassen as well, and uh, Kulusevsky, who's been amazing, you know, came off the bench and, and set up two goals. Um, so if you ask me, uh, Sweden are, are definite uh, favourites. Uh, I see Ukraine giving them a fight, uh, but it, it won't be enough. Who do you fancy in this one, Cam? Um, 
Well, with Yarmolenko, the, the, the Ukraine finally has some goals in them. Um, but uh, I don't think I've ever watched a match with Sweden play that's been interesting at all. Um, <laughs> Very harsh. <laughs> no, seriously. Ever since, like, was it the 1952 World Cup? Oh, and yeah. and um, I, I mean, I've been bored to tears watching um, Sweden for so many years. And I especially, especially Sweden, England. If England win and Sweden win and they play each other, oh, God, that's going to be terrible. But um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'd have to give, um, no, I'm going to go with Ukraine. I think Ukraine. Uh, I think that they, they, I mean, God, wouldn't it be terrible if one of these two went on to win the whole thing? <laughs> Real underdog matches. Um, okay, I'll go with Ukraine. Craig, who do you fancy in this one? Well, Cam's giving it the big build-up, isn't he? I, I can't, you know what I mean? Watch- what else can you say, really? <laughs> I can't wait to watch it now. I, actually, I, I'm okay with, with watching this Sweden side. I, I've quite enjoyed their progression. I, and I one thing I will agree with Cam is I remember in the, the last World Cup, the England-Sweden met in that. I, I don't think Sweden were, were at the races at all. They were just they just looked to defend. They got 10 men behind the ball, didn't really do much of anything. Whereas this time, I think they've come out to play much more. And Forsberg has impressed me yeah. so much. And I, again, I made this point about so many teams. If if you have that little bit of quality in the final third, and I, and I know speaking as a Scotsman, that that's something that we very much have lacked in the tournament and in recent years, then you give yourself a chance. And he's... I wouldn't say he's carried Sweden to, to where they are, but he's been a very big factor in, in how they've played and how well they've done. So I think that little bit of quality that Sweden seemed to me to have in the final third that maybe Ukraine lack. You know, they don't have a player of the quality of Shevchenko, their manager, anymore. That could be just enough to make the difference and enough to take them through. All right. That's it. That's your, the remaining last 16 ties all done and dusted. Hope you enjoy the football. For now, I say thanks to Cam Raslan. Thank you, Ross. Uh, thanks to Nicholas Arnil. Cheers, Ross. And cheers, Craig Wilkie. Cheers. All peace in my household tonight. It's good. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. See you Friday. Bye now. Off the ball every Monday at 8 p.m. on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.